20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. to another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. It is Saturday, well, Sunday morning now, and we do not have a game to preview. The Packers played on Thursday night against the Seattle Seahawks. On the road, they lost again, uh, as they've done every single time they've played outside of Lambeau Field this year. So they are undefeated at home and winless on the road. You add that all up, you have 4, 5, and 1 as their record. I am your host this evening, Jacob Westendorf, and joined with me in the middle of Long Beach, California, Zach Jacobson. Zach, it's good to be back. How are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling good. Uh, just crazy that we're already in mid-November and we're already inching towards the end of the season and the Packers have yet to win on the road. Yeah, that is crazy. It is middle of November. Thanksgiving is Thursday. More importantly, at least on my end, Michigan versus Ohio State is on Saturday. My mood on Sunday will be determined on how Saturday's game goes, but we'll talk about that at another time. You mentioned, Zach, right away, the Packers have yet to win a game on the road. The last road game they won was in Cleveland last year. It was December 10th, nearly a full calendar year ago. And the issue I have specifically with the road performances this year is save for the Washington game, all of the road games have kind of looked the same. The Packers have had a chance to win them, and they've found ways to lose. Uh, the last three games specifically, L.A., New England, and Seattle, is they've had chances to win, they've had leads in those games, and they've blown them all. What do you attribute right now to the Packers' biggest reason for struggling on the road the way that they have? Because as I mentioned, undefeated at home, well, if you want to count the tie, I guess, as being undefeated. But undefeated at home, most of the time, look like a pretty good team at home. And on the road, they just can't get out of their own way. What do you attribute that to? I think it's it's been the same problem that has plagued the Packers the last few, few years. It's been just conservativeness on the part of Mike McCarthy. And you know me. Everybody knows me. They know I'm not, I'm not the blame Mike McCarthy guy. I'm not the guy that's going to point the finger at Mike McCarthy and say, this is the guy that's causing them to lose. This is the guy who deserves to shoulder all the blame. But any good team with a 14-3 lead in Seattle and Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, they would win that game. 
they wouldn't hold the lead up until the final five minutes of the game in Seattle and fail, fail to leave with a win. There is no reason why this team should continuously fall flat. At road game after road game this season, and they haven't looked spectacular at home either. So let's you know, let's let's put that on the record right now. They haven't looked great at Lambeau Field either. You know, as sure you know, they're winning games there, and you know, I don't think they've lost Lambeau this year. They've only tied that game against the Vikings in week two, but they they haven't looked great in any stretch this season. And their only true form of competency was against a Brock Osweiler led Dolphins, and maybe the second half against the Bears. You know, and that, that's just the second half of football. You know, how much how much value does that hold when they're not even putting together a full 60 minutes and they're down 24 to 0 at the half? So they haven't looked fantastic even at all on the road. Regardless, this team just doesn't look good, and there's no reason for that to happen. With this team, as many skill position players, as many threats as they have on offense, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez scaling, who should have seen more opportunities against the Seahawks. This guy can take the top off of any defense, but for some reason, he didn't get the targets. And it just blows my mind on a weekly basis why this team doesn't doesn't get these players involved. Sure, we see it sporadically. We saw Valdez scaling have that stretch of three or four games where he kind of broke onto the scene, and people were kind of wondering, oh, wow, you know, this guy could be the future in the Packers offense. And in Seattle, there wasn't a peak from it. He probably, I think he had like two catches. I don't have the, the box score in front of me, but based off of memory, I think he had two catches, and neither one of them were impactful. So I, I just think this team just, I don't know, there's obviously some kind of stale message in the locker room right now, and it, there's nothing really that's taken over that's changed it. You know, it's just been a continuous theme this season, and for the last couple of years, actually. Yeah, it's been that way for, like you said, the last couple of years. Uh, I've likened this year's team. You have two options. You can either choose Andy Reid's last season in Philadelphia or Ray Rhodes' only season here in Green Bay, whichever one. These teams definitely resemble one of those two, if not both at the same time. Here's the thing with McCarthy. It's very similar to me to Andy Reid. Like, McCarthy didn't just forget how to coach. He's been a good coach. I don't want that to get lost. That doesn't make him perfect. For example, you know, fourth and two the other night, and he punts, playing with a gas defense with Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels banged up. That's that's unforgivable, um, quite frankly, because yeah. they should go for that every single time. Because honestly, if you don't get it, the other team is two first downs away, and it's not like you know you were stifling them the entire night on defense. The Seahawks moved the ball most of the night. And the Packers don't have a dominant defense. You know, for example, this might be more forgivable if they had, like, the Bears defense, for example, which is one of the best in the league. That could be an example. Otherwise, it's not a dominant defense. So, with that in mind, you have to put the ball in your best player's hands. Your best player, regardless of some of his struggles, is still Aaron Rodgers. You have to let him decide whether or not this game is going to win. It's no different to me than Ty Montgomery running out of the end zone with the ball when he should have taken a knee. You want to take your best shot. If the Packers don't convert that fourth and two because Rodgers has the ball in his hands, then I can live with that. But I can't live with the the notion that the Packers put the game in the hands of their defense, which is better than it has been, 
but it's still not a championship-level defense. Like, this team is just fantastically average. They show signs of brilliance on offense. They hit their lulls. They show signs of brilliance on defense, and they hit their lulls. Their special teams is really the only thing that's consistently awful. They've never really shown a sign of being really good on that. However, something I don't want to let go too far, Zach, is because you and I have been pretty vocal supporters of this guy. Trevor Davis definitely showed something on Thursday night as far as being a competent returner. Definitely the best returner on the roster. We don't have to spend a ton of time on that. I just wanted to point that out for everybody on the Trevor Davis sucks campaign. He does have something that resembles value, and he showed that on Thursday night. However, what I do want to get to here is, you know, I mentioned the fourth and two. You mentioned the conservative play call from Mike McCarthy, the conservative calling, whatever way you want to put it, of McCarthy. And I think everybody kind of knows at this point, barring a run the table, go to the Super Bowl and win kind of thing, McCarthy's time here is up. Uh, And I think that everybody has kind of accepted that at this point. Uh, But they haven't, you know, it it can't be official yet. There's no point in firing him in the middle of the year. What I do want to get to, though, Zach, is, like I said earlier, McCarthy is a good coach, has been a good coach, and will continue to be a good coach in his next run. Something I do want to get to, though, is the struggles, if you will, of Aaron Rodgers. The other night, the stat line looks pretty. The quarterback rating looks pretty. He shows flashes of brilliance. But there are – something I want to say is there are mistakes that he makes. And it feels like those mistakes are just overlooked because everybody uses every chance they can get to basically bash Mike McCarthy and his offense. And believe me, McCarthy's got plenty to blame there as well. But it's still possible to say – Mike McCarthy's offense is archaic. Rodgers doesn't trust him. It's stale, whatever phrase you want to put it. But it's also possible to say in that time frame that Aaron Rodgers needs to play better. And I do think that that's a thing as well. That's not the reason they lost on Thursday night. They didn't lose because the quarterback was bad. I mean, if you want to watch bad quarterback play, last year with Brett Hundley gives you plenty of examples of bad quarterback play. That's not what Thursday night was. However, there were plays left on the field. And... Zach, I guess what I want to say, how do you feel about all that? Because it almost feels like, just like with any argument, you know, Twitter is a wonderful place for a lot of things, but it's also kind of annoying for several reasons because it's almost like you have to have one or the other. Oh, the problem with the Packers is Mike McCarthy. No, the problem with the Packers is Aaron Rodgers, and he needs to play better. The answer really is somewhere in the middle, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers is the problem, but his play has been a problem. Would you agree with that assessment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I tweeted, even. I mean, well, first of all, we got to spend at least 20 minutes talking about Trevor Davis. I mean, <laughs> like, like, cut him out a little bit. <laughs> but as far as Rodgers go, he, no, he's not the problem. But he's a problem. And I, I, I think that's kind of, that gets overlooked by Packers fans, because they don't want to blame this guy, which I understand. You know, he's given them he's given them so many years of just success, of amazing throws, of so much so much play at the quarterback position to the point where they, you know, people feel that he's already better than Brett Favre, which I agree with. He's one of the best best quarterbacks that I've ever seen ever in my lifetime. And just like watching like film of the old guys, and watching Dan Marino, I don't think anybody is more skilled at throwing the football than Aaron Rodgers is, but. He's human. And these people, I don't think they realize that. I don't think they realize that this guy 
Aaron Rodgers, this human being, can be blamed for things too. He can make bad throws. He can throw balls into the dirt on fourth and two, or third and two, sorry, and say the ball stuck to his hand. You know, he can overthrow guys. He can just completely break down in the pocket and have this, this obscene lack of awareness sometimes, when other times he has the best awareness in the pocket than any quarterback in the league. But all of the blame doesn't need to fall on one person, that person being Mike McCarthy, just because he's at the helm of this this power structure as far as what goes on the field and what doesn't, you know, as far as the players, the coaching staff goes. All the blame doesn't need to fall on McCarthy. Rodgers is at fault, too. He's absolutely a problem, and he has been a problem this season. Sure, his stat line looks great. What do you have? He has 19 touchdowns and a pick this season. One interception. That's his fewest ever through through uh, um, 10 games. But a stat line will only tell you so much. Unless you've been watching these games and you've been watching the film, that's not Aaron Rodgers. That's, it looks like a shell of what Rodgers was. And I hate to say that because, you know, like you said, maybe he just doesn't trust the scheme. Maybe he doesn't buy into what McCarthy's preaching anymore. And I also tweeted the other day that it would be great to see Rodgers revert back to how he used to be throwing football. I'm talking about the 2009 to 2011 years where he he would drop back two or three step drops. He would pinpoint his guy, fire the ball out on a dime, and he would transfer all of his weight to his, his plant foot, and he wouldn't throw off his back or foot as often. Sure, he would have those throws every now and then, but they wouldn't be as consistent as they are now. Because watching Rodgers now, I mean, like that, that 41-yard completion to Devontae Adams in the first quarter against the Seahawks Thursday night. If he steps into that throw, Devontae Adams, that's a touchdown. He's gone. He's in the end zone. And Mason Crosby doesn't have a chance to come onto the field and miss that field goal. That's three points off, you know, off the board for the Packers. If he makes a better throw, sure, yeah, it's great. The, the sidearm baseball far style throw, that's that's great. Aesthetically, it's pleasing. It's a beautiful throw. And falling off your back foot is even more impressive. Great. But at some point, you're me- where are the mechanics nowadays? Rodgers doesn't have mechanics, you know, the, court, the, the natural quarterback mechanics anymore. And I'm not... Like I said, I'm not in the business of telling a professional NFL quarterback how to do his job. Because he's obviously a professional NFL quarterback for a damn reason. And I'm not. But the difference is abundantly clear between what Rodgers used to be and what he is now. I think he's just gotten so, not lazy, but just so comfortable making these insane throws in these crazy contortionist positions. You know, whether he's whether he, whether he doesn't have a platform under under his feet and he's throwing like his legs in the air and he's throwing off his back foot and making all these wild throws, that makes us go, ooh, wow, look at that, wow, nobody's ever done this before. That's incredible. And like I said, sure, it's aesthetically beautiful to see, but how much more of that do we need to see? Because at some point it gets old. At some point you got to stay true to how you were built. Stay true to how you learned the position. And I'm not talking about you know, reverting back to when he came out of the draft in 2005, holding the ball up near his ear hole, you know, before McCarthy got a hold of him, because that was just, that was grotesque. That was disgusting. But 
Right. It would just, yeah, it would just be nice to see Rodgers go back to the fundamentals and the mechanics of playing the position. Yeah, you got to play in system. I think that you can attribute some of the clunkiness to this offense is Rodgers' unwillingness to play within the offense. Um, you know, those things you're talking about where he escapes the pocket, rolls to his right. The throw to Robert Tanyan, for example, which was awesome. It was one of the best throws I've seen this season. Oh, yeah. But that shouldn't be an every-down thing, and it feels like that's what they're doing every single down. You know, Rodgers has to be more willing to play in system. I think that points to the he doesn't trust what he's seeing necessarily, doesn't trust what McCarthy's telling him. And, you know, when you've been together this long, Bill Walsh has talked about it. Messaging getting stale and stuff like that after 9 to 10 years. McCarthy's been here for 13. That's a long time. There's just there's got to be somebody out there that can coach this offense to make things easier for Rodgers the way that, not to make the comparison, but the way that New England does for Tom Brady or the way that Sean McVay does for Jared Goff or the way that Andy Reid does for Patrick Mahomes. Like, the Packers have a chance to drive a Ferrari here and they're treating it like a station wagon. And that's kind of the problem that they have at this point for the offense. And Rodgers has always been at his best. Everybody that has watched the Packers says this. He's at his best when he takes his drop, plants his back foot, and bam, that ball is out. The ball is, or He's at his best when the ball comes out of his hands quickly. And the Packers need to find somebody that Rodgers can trust and get to do those things. And I think that's a conversation we'll have a lot as this season comes to a close because more likely than not, uh, the Packers are going to be making a coaching change and we'll be talking about you know head coach interviews, who the next coach is going to be. And I don't want to say that's exciting or anything like that, but it is interesting. It'll be fun to talk about as that time gets. Zach, the other thing that I kind of want to cover here is since the head, you know, the thought of a head coaching change is coming up, people are throwing out names. Now, I personally will not throw out names just because it's impossible for me to know how a head coach is going to act as a head coach until he's in that chair. So, for example, I know I don't want them to hire Jeff Fisher because I've seen that happen before. Whereas, you know, if they hired John Harbaugh, should he get fired? I kind of know what he's like as a head coach. But a coordinator or a college coach or somebody like that, we just don't know. So I've mentioned my qualities that... I am looking for for the next Packers head coach, and that is a young guy, uh, offensive-minded, invested in analytics, and not Josh McDaniels. And that's what I want to get to because Josh McDaniels seems to be a hot name because he's a creative play caller. Uh, The Patriots have had a lot of success on offense since he has been there, and that seems to be a name. You know, Green Bay fans, some, would like to see him work with Aaron Rodgers the way that he has done so with Tom Brady. So let me start with, and I'll get to my reasoning as to why I don't want him, but is Josh McDaniel somebody that you would be comfortable with if Green Bay did in fact decide to hire him? Because as it's been pointed out, when Brian Gutekunst interviewed in San Francisco to be their general manager, it did come up that Josh McDaniels was a candidate as that head coach. So they kind of did some background work on each other already. But is that something you would be comfortable with? You know, I've seen his name thrown around so much. And I've seen so much... Actually, I've seen a kind of mixture. I've seen some disdain attached to it, and I've seen some excitement. Because, obviously, Packer fans want some security at that position. At that position on the coaching staff. And 
they obviously feel like after the stunt McDaniels pulled with Indianapolis and kind of going back on his agreement with them, the coach over there, going back to New England, I think, you know, that kind of that shell shocked him a little bit. So obviously they were a little nervous, and I understand that. I just think that the, the, uns, the uncertainty involving Andrew Luck over there kind of spooked him and apparently didn't want didn't want to be invested in that long in the long term future kind of building if if they had to build without Andrew Luck and go through that season without Luck. But I think a situation where he would go to Aaron Rodgers, I think that'd be a lot more enticing. And the odds of him jumping into that situation and then backing out would obviously be a lot more slim compared to what he did with Indianapolis, but still, you see the nature of a person like that. To, to, make, to agree to, a, to something like that, to agree to a new team and then just kind of back out at the last second, you know, that kind of, that speaks a lot to your character. You know, and I don't think the Packers need that, especially going from, you know, if they need something fresh from Mike McCarthy. And, you know, I'm not saying Mike McCarthy's that kind of person, obviously, but they want something fresh and they want something a sense of security at the head coach position. So I wouldn't be opposed to McDaniels. He obviously wouldn't just be my first choice, I guess. I haven't. This is actually the first time I've said anything about McDaniels in regards to him coming to the Packers. I've been relatively silent, silent about that. But you know, I've kind of just I've, I've sat back and watched everybody just kind of duke it out over, over McDaniels and whether or not he should come to the day. But I know you're a. Uh, you're pretty, um, you're pretty strong, feeling strong about that too. So let me hear you. Yeah, I do. Um, I do not want Josh McDaniels. Um, you mentioned some of the reasons. The whole thing with the Colts is, you know, to me, there's a thing with there are too many people in this world, in this area of sports, that have forgotten that there's more to being a head coach than just being a good play caller. Because from a play calling standpoint, yes, McDaniels is gifted. I don't think that. That can be overlooked. From a creativity standpoint, from an offense standpoint, I think McDaniels would be helpful. However, as I stated, there's more to being a head coach than being a good play caller because the head coach has to be a leader of men. And, I mean, I've kind of been joking. You know, I I said to somebody, why don't you want Josh McDaniels? My response was because Josh McDaniels is a weenie. And that's kind of like a (laughs) – that's kind of a childish way of explaining it, however. But, like, his thing with the Colts was he had a verbal agreement with the team, had that verbal agreement for several weeks, had assistants ready to leave their jobs lined up to go to Indianapolis, and then backed out at the last minute. As you mentioned, I think that speaks to his character. And I would not want someone with that level of character because it would not shock me one bit if, let's say, the Packers hire McDaniels and he makes it through one year and then Bill Belichick retires. You mean to tell me that you trust that if Robert Kraft calls him, he'll say, I'm committed to the Green Bay Packers? I don't buy that one bit. And I really don't want this next Packers coach to be one and done because changing coaches every other year, that's what the Cleveland Browns do. And I do not want to emulate the Cleveland Browns in any way, shape, or form with how they've been for the last 20 years. The other thing is there's been some misinformation, and I do want to clarify this because some people are like, oh, You know, he put that Broncos team together, and he won a playoff game with Tim Tebow. That's not true. That was John Fox. John Fox was the head coach of that team that won a playoff game with Tebow. I saw that, actually. I saw you, uh, I think it was Aaron Andrews. 
you yeah. Quoted this week. yeah. Yeah, and Aaron, I didn't mean to single you out there, but there's been more than one person that has said that to me of, he won a playoff game with Tim Tebow. That's not true. Josh McDaniels drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. Now, he wouldn't have that control in Green Bay because Brian Gutekunst is the general manager. However, the fact that Josh McDaniels assessed a quarterback that looks like that, and Tim Tebow, for every bit of my money, is one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen. I know that some people might point to his record. They might point to the fact that he's a really nice guy. That's all well and good. And I certainly believe that his character seems to be very high. I don't know the person, but that seems to have held water. But he's not a good quarterback. It was just that simple for me. So I am very much against the idea of Josh McDaniels. Uh, Again, I, I don't have specific names, but I can tell you I would rather keep Mike McCarthy at this standpoint than hire Josh McDaniels, and I myself am ready to fire wow. Mike McCarthy. So I just don't trust anything that that guy says or does. And, I mean, maybe, you know, if he comes here and wins three Super Bowls, then I'll happily say I was wrong. That wouldn't be the first time. It won't be the last that I have been wrong. But I definitely do not want Josh McDaniels to be the head coach. And this is a conversation that will carry into the offseason because I'm sure, you know, eventually we're going to hear of, interviews and such and who's coming and who's coming to interview and who might be a favorite or whatever. Like I said, I don't have names. Um, if Sean McVay wanted to come coach the Packers or Bill Belichick, then yeah, I would say I'd be all on board for that. But as far as specific names, that's really the only one is I don't want Josh McDaniels. Um, and I, I share, I share those same sentiments as far as the coach needs to be a leader of men because McCarthy, he was a leader of men. And absolutely. For the longest time, in Green Bay, the players respected him. And I'm sure they still do, you know, without question. And he constantly defended the players. I tweeted that the other day, too. I'm basically just reciting my whole timeline. But he, he constantly defended his players. And he went to bat for them. You know, whenever they were taking heat, he, he, he took it for them. And would, would McDaniels do that? Does Josh McDaniels seem like the kind of guy who would do that in Green Bay? No, and I mean, I think that's a very fair question. Um, Should McDaniels get this job that, you know, something I always appreciated about McCarthy, he has gone back on it before, but, you know, most of the time he'll say, I'm not critiquing a player in the media. And uh, with really the exception of Eddie Lacy, he never did. Um, And, you know, I mean, I can tell you from, granted, my football playing career was four years in high school, you sure, certainly shouldn't take this as an apples-to-apples apples comparison. But I can tell you from the standpoint of, by my senior season, yes, I still respected what the coaches were saying, but I know for a fact that I rolled my eyes or said some stuff when, you know, for example, we played this team every year. They were from the suburbs of Chicago, and we had never in the history of our school lost to them. And every year we heard the same crap from the coaches about how, oh, they're the best 0-6 team in the state. And we would just be like, yeah, right, like we're going to kick their ass. And we did. Uh, That's just what happened. So I can promise you that when Aaron Rodgers hears we got to get back to the fundamentals or uh, it's like anything or just, you know, some of the stuff that we know McCarthy says often, like I know what he's saying and I roll my eyes. I can't imagine what that's like when Rodgers has to hear that or players that have been there for a long time. Clay Matthews, uh, Tremont Williams has been here a lot. Just every day hearing the same stuff over and over again. So I can I can imagine that's stale. Zach, the last thing I want to get to, we kind of talked about it with Rodgers, uh, something that has been noted by Aaron Nagler before 
and several others is how Rodgers never really passes up a chance to take a passive-aggressive shot at his head coach. And the other night, it wasn't a necessarily his head coach, but he was talking about his young wide receivers. And I know that Rodgers has gone through a bit of a transition this year. You know, last year it was Cobb, Nelson, and Adams, and he had been with them all for at least four years apiece. Whereas this year it really is, as my good friend Ross Uglum would put it, Devontae Adams and a bunch of children. Uh, and you could see some stuff like mental errors from Equinemia St. Brown, uh, not being in right position on the same page by Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But Rodgers has gone like out of his way in press conferences to state, you know, I, I don't see any guys open or I need guys to get open or stuff like that. Do you think that that is a problem? Because quite frankly, you know, you mentioned the ball stuck to my hand. Like I personally as a fan am tired of – the excuses. Now, to Rodgers' credit, for the most part this year, he's held up his end of the bargain, says, I need to play better, and I know that. But there are times where it feels like he's deflecting blame or, you know, whatever it is you want to call it. But do you think it's a problem specifically for these young guys maybe feeling like they're getting blamed and critiqued in the media, as we just talked about, by their quarterback? You know, I was I was sitting here and I was thinking of a response of what to say to that, and I was I was thinking to myself, well, if Rogers is going to blame players or take jabs at other players, then players should be taking jabs at Rogers too when he doesn't play well, and when he's throwing balls into the balls into the dirt, he's not making the right throws, or when he's you know struggling at times, and then I thought. Why all the finger pointing? Yeah. Because it, it feels like there's so much finger pointing going on, and there was just so much, what's the word? Vitriol in the, in the locker room. There's so much, like, animosity right now. And nobody is, is on the same page. Like, on the field and off the field. Because on the field, like you mentioned, receivers, they're not in the right spot sometimes. Equinemia St. Brown. He was supposed to sit down like, in Seattle Thursday night. He was supposed to sit down in zone coverage. He had a wide open space in the middle of the field. He was supposed to sit down in certain spots. You know, Jordan Nelson and Randall Cobb mastered over the years, and Rodgers has gotten so accustomed to it. And he wasn't in the right spot. The ball completely missed him. He wasn't where Rodgers needed to be. That's something they need to fine-tune in practice, and they need to fix that. There can't be Rodgers taking subtle jabs at these guys. Because we get it. You're the leader. You're the leader of that offense. You need to say things, and you know you need to whip these guys into shame. Yeah, we know that they're, they're the young pups there, and you got to be the, the hot dog that rounds them all up and gets them into shape. We know, we get it. He did it in the preseason. He did it through training camp, and we we've seen that before. But in, in week eleven, in week eleven, it's still taking these little subtle jabs at the receivers and the scheme, and you know guys need to be open because you know he did say that multiple times. He didn't just allude to it. He he flat out said, guys need to get open. As if, you know, he's looking their way 100% of the time whenever they're open. Because right. Jacob, we can pull up the all 22 whenever the hell we want. And we can, and anytime Roger drops back and he's not looking one way, there's guys open down the field. And that's why I don't feel like a lot of the, a lot of the finger points, per se, has gone rightfully towards Mike McCarthy because... The offensive scheme, it hasn't been bad. Maybe the play calling, the play selection, and how guys are involved. 
you know, Aaron Jones obviously needs more carries. That's like a that's like a theme week by week. Um, but that hasn't been bad. Guys are open. It's just a matter of Rogers seeing that. So if anybody should be taking jabs at anybody, it should be it should be these young rookie receivers taking jabs at Rogers. You know, it, at the same time though, as much as you know, obviously I would call for that. It feels like nobody should be pointing fingers at anybody because it feels like that's what's tearing this team apart right now. Someone needs to take the blame. Someone needs to be at fault for this and that. It just—it feels like a very toxic environment in that locker room right now. Yeah, I would love to be a fly on the wall in there. You know, something that you mentioned that I think is fair is you know, like Rogers takes those jabs in the media. I don't hear those jabs in the media. I don't see the, I call it the Demarius Randall, where you throw both hands up over your head like you're trying to blame somebody else. You know, when Rodgers doesn't throw an open guy a ball, I don't see Equinemius St. Brown throwing his hands in the air. Like, oh, my God, I was wide the hell open and you didn't even bother to look my way kind of thing. And that's, I mean, that's something that may come with time, something I think that needs to be done is I do believe that there are some expectations that need to be tempered for these young guys. I mentioned it the other night. You know, you see flashes of brilliance from Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown, but at the same time, while we're seeing those flashes, I think we were forgetting that that is a fifth and a sixth round pick being put in a complex offense that they didn't play in in college, and they're really it's, this is their first experience. So, I mean, this is an off-season question, and we can get to that, but that's something for next year that I really don't think that Green Bay can afford to go in the year relying on their top three receivers being Devontae Adams, who is a top five receiver. Zach, there's a plug for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown. That's not to say those guys aren't talented. That's not to say cut them. That's not to say they don't have a role when the next head coach takes over. That's just to say you you need a veteran. And maybe, yeah, that other first round pick that you have could be used on a wide receiver to give Rodgers that Top-end talent, similar to what you did when Devontae Adams was drafted a few years ago. But that is a long discussion from now. For today, we are out of time. Uh, thank you guys for listening to Pack-A-Day. Give us a, give us a follow on Twitter. It is at Pack-A-Day Podcast. Listen to your favorite podcast platform. Give us a like. Give us whatever it is that, you know, rating, all that stuff. that You guys are a lot smarter with when it comes to me. Uh, that's... That's just kind of you know what I, what I need you to do here for me. You can follow me personally on Twitter. I am at Jacob Westendorf. I appreciate the interaction that you guys have given over the last couple weeks. I've enjoyed talking to you. However, this week, if you are a Ohio State Buckeyes fan, I don't want to hear a word from you until after Saturday's game. And even then, I may uh, I may not want to even do that then. Um, so we'll talk about that later on. Zach, where can where can my people find you? Well, if they really want to, then you guys can find me on Twitter at Zach A. Jacobson, Z-A-C-H, to clarify, for the 52nd time. <laughs> and you can also find me at Cheesehead TV as well as here on the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Uh, one more quick thing before we go. As you said, the number 52, that reminded me of number 51. Zach, I want to apologize oh. on behalf of the entire Packers fan base to Kyler Fackrell, who currently, and granted, the other guy missed a couple games, but currently has more sacks than Khalil Mack. I believe all of us owe him an apology. That that guy is edge one right now. He is... I don't want to... You know what? Just to stick with the brand, he's top five. 
He's top five edge rusher in the league. Kyler's back. Kyler's a freak back role. And actually, Khalil Mack, if we just take his last seven games, his last seven games worth body of work, and compare it to Kyler Fackrell's last seven games, in fact, eight sacks in those last seven games, I mean, what does that tell you? Maybe the Packers have made the right move not going after Khalil Mack. Um, I'm pretty sure you're joking when you say that, but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let that one <laughs> I'm gonna let that one go. For the banter, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pretend I'm serious. Yeah, what the hell? Let's do it. Uh, that that was funny. I appreciate that. We'll end on that. Thank you guys for listening to Packaday Podcast. Next Sunday, Green Bay will be in Minnesota for Sunday Night Football, a place they've never won. This would be a hell of a time to get their first win in Minnesota. If the season didn't hang in the balance Thursday, it definitely does next Sunday. So. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy your Thanksgiving and go pack go. Third and six, trailing 30 to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A gap, and here they come. Rogers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. He gets touchdown. Adams, left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side, St. Brown makes the touch. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6'5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers. Looking downfield. Throws the left side. He's got it. Out of bounds inside the 10-yard line. Oh my goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is, placement made, kick is up. And it's good! It is good! Mason Crosby delivers the dagger! One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.